Well, I want to introduce to you uh, a guy who's become a, a good friend of mine, and we're getting more and more friendly all the time, uh, Lambers Fisher. Uh, he's been up here on panels before. You may have, have, have seen him. Just an incredible guy. Um, he um, is a counselor, a family therapist at Christian Heart Ministries in Stillwater. If any of you are going through rocky times in your marriage, you might want to check this guy out. He's a, I've heard, a really good family therapist. Um, he does diversity training uh, all over the place, well-known uh, trainer in that. And he just came out with a book, and the book is entitled uh, Diversity in Clinical Practice, a, pr- a Practical and Shame-Free Guide to Reducing Cultural Offenses uh, and Repairing Cross-Cultural Relationships. Now, that sounds nerdy. It sounds egg-heady, academic, and, and, and Fisher is kind of a nerd. I, you know, that's why he fits so well around him. So he, he, he's, he's a geek. But I, I've read half his book so far, and I'm telling you, it, it's, it's, it's not just for professionals. It's so much practical wisdom there on just how to become competent at being uh, you know, cross-cultural. Most people are competent in one cultural area, especially most white folks. We know the one culture, but outside of that, we get awkward. And this is just a way to become competent in different cultures. It really is an outstanding book. And so, uh, uh, Lambers, I want to cut on the royalties on that one because that was a pretty good endorsement. So, Lambers, would you come up? Let's give a good, warm, Hills welcome to Lambers Fisher. God bless you, man. Be anointed. All right. I, I am a nerd. I, I will own that. <laughs> All right. Um, it's good to be with you guys today. And um, uh, hopefully we make it worth your while. Um, uh, can we start off with a, uh, a little prayer real quick? All right. Uh, God, we love you. We thank you for all that you are, all that you've done, all that you're doing, and all that you're going to do. Help us to hear you today. Help us to hear your desire for our lives, for our interactions with each other, and for our interactions with you. Help us to understand a new perspective of you, not in a new theology kind of way, but just to appreciate the you that you've always been showing us to be in the best way possible. We put our hope and trust in you, in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's good to be here speaking to you at Wilmington Hills. Uh, my wife and I have been coming here for several years now. Our daughters love it over at Heroes Gate. It's great. And um, it's important for you to know, uh, Greg already mentioned, that uh, I'm a marriage and family therapist. First and foremost, it's not just my profession. I feel it's my calling, my ministry. Uh, it's what I'm passionate to do. And, um, and the reason why, it's pretty straightforward. I'll give you the short version of the story. Um, uh, early on, as a kid, as too many kids have to experience, uh, my parents divorced as a kid, and uh, everybody copes with that a little bit differently. And my slightly unorthodox coping strategy was to pour into desperately looking for intact marriages to hold on to and to model after. And there were a few, but I didn't find nearly as many as I was hoping for. Uh, and then eventually, as the years went on, I realized and discovered that there was this whole career field called marriage and family therapy. And they pretty much could teach me how to do this, have an intact marriage myself, as long as I had the trade-off of teaching other people the same stuff I was learning along the way. And I said, sign me up. And that was my literal uh, marriage family therapy story. And I've been counseling uh, couples and families for about 19 years now, and um, I look forward to keep on going uh, and um, helping keep families and uh, and relationships together. And so that's kind of the perspective that I've come from you today, uh, because I want to help you realize the implications of marriage relationships sticking together as as it relates to our interactions with God. So uh, now, uh, one little disclaimer. Also, knowing that my faith uh, was that important to me, uh, and it would be influenced in everything I did anyway, uh, I went ahead and got the marriage and family therapy degree as well as the theology degree so I could combine them both because over time I started to realize that 
a lot of the same skills and um, insights that helped strengthen mar- uh, marriage relationships as people came into counseling, wrestling with difficult decisions and coping skills and emotional struggles, a lot of them were very similar to people coming in and just saying, well, hey, you got that theology stuff. I don't have to be afraid of your psychology, right? So, yeah, well, I have a difficulty in my relationship with God, and the overlap was just amazing to me. I was pleasantly surprised by how one could impact the other, and that's what I want to share with you today. Uh, so, uh, also, like many of you, uh, I kind of grew up hearing things like uh, Christianity is not just about a religion, it's about a relationship. It's a nice concept, but if I'm being really honest, uh, to me, at best, that meant that uh, the same God that created the whole world way back at one point in time also still exists and is relevant today and wants to influence our lives in some way. But it wasn't until I gained a greater appreciation for that word relationship then I started to realize that maybe God wants a relationship with us more than just between a creator and a created, more than just even between a parent and a child, father, child analogies we hear all the time, but also between committed partners in this journey called life, which sounds a lot like a marriage relationship to me. Why do I believe this? Well, uh, it's right there in Ephesians 5, 25 to 33, which reads, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, making her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without sin or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, No one has ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect the husband. Do you see it? It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, which implies that in some ways, in many ways, Christ loves the church, us, just as, like, in similar ways as a husband loves a wife. And as I mentioned, that got me excited. It makes me want to be on the lookout for ways in which this could play out in daily life. I wanted to make it real, and that's what I want to share with you. Just some of the few lessons Uh, insights that have strengthened marriages. I've seen strengthened marriage relationships that can also strengthen your relationship with God. Now, a few disclaimers because I don't want anybody to get left behind um, because there's often some common barriers that get in the way when I try to bring up this idea of a relationship with God in practical life. One of those common barriers is the idea that this only applies to married couples, leaving every one of you who's single out in the cold. And I wholeheartedly disagree. We, we don't need to be married to fathom and experience God as a partner, as a spouse, any more than I need to be a parent in order to fathom God as father, as, as parent. Sure, sure, it helps, but we don't need that as a prerequisite. Any more than I need to be a farmer to fathom the concept of sowing and reaping. Sure, it helps, but this city kid from Chicago would be way up a creek if that was the case as a prerequisite. Now, as a whole, Anybody who, whether you're married or single, your experiences with God are separate from that. You can still maximize this relationship. Another common barrier is the potential impact of past negative relationship experiences, whether it be uh, divorce or infidelity, so much so that it can be hard to even 
one fathom a relationship with God, but even if you do, to say, is that something I really want? This whole marriage concept, that's for everybody else. I've had a bad experience. And I'm here to tell you that God doesn't have to share that experience with you. Matter of fact, we, we are so fortunate to have a God who sees your past experiences, knows the impact that it has, and says, I'm up for the challenge. I'm up for the challenge of giving you a pleasant surprise, a better experience of a marriage relationship beyond what you can think or fathom. That's the God that we serve. Uh, another understandable barrier that I've heard a lot is the, I've tried everything I know to have a relationship with God, but it just hasn't worked. And like I said, I've seen that before. I've heard that before. It sounds very familiar like the marriage relationships I've uh, counseled where somebody comes in and says, I've tried everything to make my relationship better, and it hasn't worked. And outside of empathizing with the frustration, the reasonable, genuine desires, uh, uh, and the lack of success as a result, we begin to then transition into understanding that on one hand, we've tried everything we can think of, but there's more things to try, to learn, that can turn things around, but also some misunderstandings get in the way that if you increase the, the, your understanding of your spouse and reduce the misunderstandings, the same spouse that you have, you can see in different ways. They can see you in different ways and things can turn completely around. One more, and then I'll move forward. The final barrier that I'll address is the positive one that's expressed something like, I'm good done. I've committed my life to Christ. Boom, check, next message, please. And this is good. Committing our lives to Christ is definitely core to this whole concept, except oftentimes, not everyone, oftentimes this is synonymous with viewing a relationship with God as a one moment in time decision. It sounds very similar to the concepts that I've worked with, with couples and trying to help them understand that the wedding vows are good. They're great, but the wedding ceremony, no matter how many thousands of dollars you spent in doing it, no matter how great things were, that was only the starting point of your relationship. It, the wedding vows are the starting point, but it has to be lived out in daily life. Similarly, your salvation, your committing your life to Christ, wasn't just a one moment in time type of thing. It was the beginning of hopefully a beautiful relationship between you and God that we need to learn about and learn how to live it out in daily life. So, uh, with some of the common barriers out of the way, let's make this being married to God concept a little bit practical. I'll give you a visual that is core to me. Uh, and if you will, imagine with me for a second. Imagine a therapy room. Uh, there's, a, there's a chair and uh, there's a couch. Uh, so on, on the chair, looking at the couch, is a therapist. You can picture me if you like. And looking across uh, to two spouses on the couch, on one side of the couch is the spouse who initiated therapy in the first place. Not to uh, bash their spouse, not to say why they're leaving, but out of a genuine desire to strengthen what they have. It may not be all bad, but it's not as good as they want, and they want some support, some help, and getting over a hump to make things better. And on the other side of the couch is the spouse who came voluntarily, but uh, based on the, the, the request of the other spouse. Not really sure why they're there because they don't have one of those bad marriages. Those other people need counseling. We're fine, we don't argue, we don't yell, we don't, uh, we don't, we're not, we're not uh, uh, a problematic couple, we're fine. What's there to be dissatisfied with? Now, in this scenario, the spouse who was uh, invited and came voluntarily is you, is it me, it's, it's us. And on the other end of the couch, the spouse who initiated counseling, initiated support out of a genuine desire to strengthen their relationship with you is God. Can you see it? 
That's the view. That's the, the lens, the, the, the being married to God lens I want you to have, not only when you hear this message, but also as you go about in your daily life and you read your word. You have a spouse trying to pursue you, have an interaction with you, and that's where we're going to flesh it out today. So, uh, marriage relationship lesson number one. Healthy married couples maintain fidelity. Many couples express concerns about infidelity, which is often focused on a lack of sufficient confidence in their spouse's fidelity or faithfulness or commitment to their relationship. Often, this is due to past experiences of infidelity, either experienced or witnessed, and it sometimes leads to sometimes healthy and unhealthy requests or demands for proof of one's fidelity. Uh, now, sometimes people um, or the spouses on the other end of this don't appreciate it, if this, especially if they don't feel that they've earned that distrust. I didn't do anything to be unfaithful. Why should I have to keep on proving myself to you, either proving where I was and what I was doing, or also just why do I need to keep on telling you over and over again, I'm here, aren't I? Uh, and, uh, the, however, when, the, when time is spent helping both couples feel as though they're heard and understood and validated, the couple begins to realize that what seemed like inconsistent uh, and unearned demands for proof was actually a legitimate need for reassurance based on old emotional wounds that preceded you. Not only that, but I met many spouses without old emotional wounds that would still greatly appreciate voluntary affirmation of their spouse's commitment. It's, it's like when somebody says, you know, you know, I wouldn't leave you for anybody else, right? And they say, well, you don't have to say that. And they say, I know. I just wanted you to know anyway. I just wanted you to hear from me. I didn't want you to doubt. I didn't want you to have to guess. I want to reaffirm my fidelity with you. Or when they set up boundaries that they don't have to just to protect their relationship that they value so much. It can be powerful to voluntarily show and express to your spouse that your focus isn't about stretching the limits of how much you can get away with in your relationship while still being faithful, but instead to draw near to the spouse, showing how much you value them and you want to be close. The healthiest marriages I've seen realize that happiness in a relationship is not about just not being divorced. For the wedding vows are just a moment in time. It's about living out those vows and making it stronger every day. I'm reminded of this marriage insight when I read verses like 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, which tells us the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. See, the Bible makes clear on many occasions that God is faithful. See, he started this faithfulness exchange long before we even got into the game. 2 Timothy 2.13 tells us, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. See, God's not waiting on us to start. Even when we're not following through on our part, he's still holding up his end of the bargain, waiting for us to get back into the game. Even more emphatically, Hebrews 13.5 tells us, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Never is a big word. And that means not just as creator or as parent, but as a committed partner. When things get tough, when outside threats come, when things look bad, or we fear abandonment, we can remind ourselves that we are not alone. More specifically, when God sent reassurance in Paul to, in his letter to the Romans to give us something to hold on to, Romans 8, 38 to 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. There's a lot of spouses who might have to think a little bit before they can say that emphatically that nothing can get in the way. I'm not going don't, don't, don't let anybody know where you're at, but at least that's something to strive for. Yeah. I encourage you 
to embrace God's offer of relationship faithfulness, commitments, and fidelity. Ask yourself, if God is faithful, that faithful to me, not just in creating me and saving me, but sustaining me and protecting me and blessing me, how can I show my faithfulness to God? Just as I've seen many spouses make the mental shift from fighting for what they have the right to do in their relationship to choosing what things they'll do in consideration of their spouse, so I've also been blessed to witness people shift from focusing on how far they can get without crossing a sin barrier to pursuing what will make God happy, what will make God more comfortable as opposed to just not getting in trouble. In your prayer efforts, ask God to reveal to you how you can show that you want to go beyond just being content and saying, look, I married you, didn't I? I committed my life to you, didn't I? Isn't that enough? And instead build a habit in word and in actions that reflect your commitment to God on a daily basis. I don't know about you, but that seems like a reasonable relationship exchange to offer. Marriage relationship lesson number two. Healthy married couples continue the pursuit. Many couples initiate counseling, not because they hate their spouse, but they're disappointed that it's not as fulfilling as they want it to be. This often confuses the other spouses, like you see in our analogy, because they don't feel there's anything wrong. What's there to be dissatisfied with? We don't yell, we don't argue, we don't fight. Healthy couples acknowledge that the absence of bad is not synonymous with the presence of good or great. It can be easy to avoid bad and still settle into this neutral coexistence. It's the common roommate dilemma. We're just here, but neither one of us are being enriched by this relationship. Neither one of us are feeling pursued, feeling drawn closer to. This doesn't seem so unrealistic when we realize that most couples started off with the pursuit. There was an initiation of, hey, you look like somebody I want to get to know. There's a seeking out. There's an expressing appreciation for their presence, spending more time with, joining in shared activities. It doesn't matter who initiates the pursuit. When it's reciprocated, it becomes a relationship. I remember this marriage insight when I read verses like Jeremiah 1, 5. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God is not saying, I'm stuck with you because you said yes. He says, I knew you before you knew me, and I had plans for you. I had plans for us. I saw the potential for a relationship with us, and I'm just waiting for you to reciprocate it. Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers, whatever, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. When it comes to finding the things, the types of traits that God finds attractive, the, that put a smile on his face and draw closer to you, this seems like a good place to start. With that in mind, since God pursues us first, before we began, he continues to pursue us with favor and blessings and sustainment. How can we acknowledge our pursuit of God? Not only that, but how can we make God feel pursued and valued in return? I must admit, there was a time... Um, uh, even as I've worked with couples and, and I feel like I have a great marriage relationship where I let my efforts to pursue wane in my relationship with my wife. The, the, the gestures slowed down. I got a little bit content. And I remember the light bulb that came on when I gave my wife some non-Valentine's Day birthday or anniversary flowers. Which is like, what are you doing this for? Did I miss something on the calendar? No, I just wanted to let you know I was thinking about you. I want to let you know I still appreciate us just because. Imagine what just cause efforts we could do with God. Imagine what we can do when we focus on not just what do I have to do, 
But what can I do? What do I get to do? Just to show you, hey, I'm going to do this for you. you. You think I'm doing it for you. I'm doing this for God. This as a love gift to him. I challenge you to explore ways in which you can show God that you're not just content coexisting with him, but that you appreciate his pursuit. You want to reciprocate with a relationship growth of your own. In words and in actions, get to know him better and make him happy, hoping for the same in return. A couple more. Marriage relationship lesson number three. Healthy marriage relationships meet mutual needs. Many couples express frustration that their spouse doesn't sufficiently meet their needs. In fact, unmet needs is often a core source of infidelity or divorce. It's common for spouses to feel hurt that their spouse could see their legitimate need and not care enough to meet it in return. Not only that, but spouses often view their spouse as needy if their spouse has needs that they don't naturally meet, which gets to this tough exchange where you shouldn't need me as much. Well, fine, I don't need you anymore and you shouldn't need me as, often, as if they're giving themselves the gift of a, of a relationship by taking those boundaries off. However, when these unmet needs are explored more in depth, it's often discovered that the reason why they are left unmet is less about disrespect and lack of love for their spouse and more about the genuine misunderstanding of their spouse's actual needs. Greater understanding of their spouse's needs then leads to greater appreciation for those needs and better meeting of them in return. Now, some might argue, but, but Lambert, I, I told my spouse several times, I made it clear, how could they not understand my needs? And to this, I say it's easy to misunderstand needs that you don't share. And even when you are exposed to them, it's kind of hard to learn new needs and adjust up front. It's still possible. And over time, if you work together, it can be there. But let's, not, let's be shocked, less shocked by the misunderstanding and move forward to, sh to shifting it. While this doesn't take away the frustration of the unmet needs themselves, it can transform the hurt from feeling disrespected and disregarded by your spouse and shifted to seeing, still feeling maybe uh, frustrated by the misunderstanding itself, but from a genuine uh, care and desire from a spouse that we have trying to meet our needs and trying to understand them more clearly. Not only that, but it's important to highlight that in marriage, needs are not a sign of weakness or insufficiency. Both spouses have needs. We all do. And they won't all be met naturally and they won't all be understood automatically. But if we work together, you can learn how to best meet as many of your spouse's needs as possible in a way that makes your genuine care clear. The goal is not to be overly needy, unhealthily independent or dependent, or merely coexist with your partner, overly independent, but instead to be healthily and mutually interdependent, balancing your ability to meet some of your own needs with reserving some needs that can only be met by your spouse or not at all, and then trying to meet your spouse's needs as well. I'm reminded of the legitimacy of mutual needs when I read verses like Matthew 25, 35 to 40, which reads, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison to go visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these, brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. In this verse, we hear Jesus using parables to convey that God has needs that he reserves for us to meet. 
The same all-powerful God that created the world makes room for us to feed the hungry, us to invite in the stranger, us to look after those who are sick. God needs us to be his hands on this earth in relationship with each other. And this need is not a sign of weakness or insufficiency. It is by design and a sign of his desire to be interdependent with us. Sure, God can do everything, but in his wisdom, he determines what things he will do on his own and what things he will reserve for us in a desire to have a strengthened relationship with us over time. In your relationship efforts, I challenge you to regularly thank God for all the ways in which he's blessed you, met your needs, and then ask God, how am I doing in meeting your needs? I've had the pleasure of seeing many spouses get to know each other as they go into a relationship expecting their spouse to meet all their needs and then realizing that someone else meeting all their needs, even if they're successful, isn't as fulfilling as they thought it would be. Similarly, working together, meeting those needs goes a whole different way. Sure, we can ask God to meet every need and expect him to do it instantaneously, but it can be similarly more fulfilling to ask God what role he wants us to play in meeting our own needs and what role we can play in meeting his needs through being a blessing to someone else. They may think you're doing it for them, and in some ways you are, but you're also doing it as a love gift to God. Remember, God is no less powerful for having needs. He chooses to reserve those needs because the power of mutual need meeting is so strong in building our relationship together. Instead of creating more distance, telling God, you're all powerful, God, you don't need me, choose to draw near and strengthen your relationship with God together by saying, how can I meet your needs? It's the ultimate here am I, send me moment. The last relationship lesson I'll share with you this morning is this. Healthy married couples continually improve their communication. Now, most often when communication is described in, in, in relationships, it's about the lack of communication. However, I want to talk about a slight variation about the struggle of miscommunication. Often, while it may seem as though your spouse isn't communicating at all, they may, be, in fact, be communicating, but in a way that's unfortunately getting lost in translation. Communication has the potential to be very significant because the desire to understand and be understood is core to our feeling connected to our spouse. This often leads to partners desperately trying to get their spouse to understand them, often unsuccessfully, and then viewing the lack of success, lack of understanding as a sign that maybe I picked the wrong person. Or maybe we shouldn't be together. Maybe, what, what are we doing wrong? And that every misunderstanding needs to be avoided or quickly resolved in order to not uh, be the end of the relationship. However, effective communication doesn't just happen as a result of the choice to be together. Active listening and clear expression of your thoughts and feelings are skills that need to be learned and practiced. In the meantime, while we grow in our learning of our own and our spouse's language styles and preferences and communication tendencies, we need to learn to accept the inevitability of miscommunication. Not accept as good, but as a reasonable and inevitable part of the getting to know each other process now and even for years to come. There'll always be more to understand. Experiencing misunderstanding and working together to overcome those misunderstandings can draw you closer together than ever having a misunderstanding in the first place. When that happens, future misunderstandings don't have to be as devastating because you can remember we had misunderstandings before. We overcame them. This will be the next overcome misunderstanding. I remember this marriage insight when I read verses like John 12:16. It reads, at first his disciples did not understand all this, only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him. 
and that these things have been done to him. I don't know about you, but that's pretty validating to me. Even Jesus and the disciples had misunderstanding? That takes a lot of the pressure off of me and my wife. <laughs> Even if you argue that Jesus spoke as clearly as possible, his disciples heard, got the gist, enough to still stay committed, but then didn't fully get it until he was glorified. And then that light bulb went over their heads and they said, oh, now we get it. We need to make room for understanding to come. Here's where in 1 Corinthians 13, 9 through 12, as for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall fully know, even, if, even as I am fully known. This passage highlights the clear reality of the inevitability of the limitations of communication. Simply put, even in great relationships, some things you will understand now, some things you will understand later, some things you won't understand until you see his face. The frustration is you don't always get to choose in which category your next communication will be in. The mere existence of, co of misunderstanding doesn't have to be as devastating when we can be patient to learn and work together to overcome them. My communication challenge to you is this. When you pray, ask God to reveal to you how you're doing, not only speaking and expressing yourself clearly, but listening to God in the manner in which he chooses to speak. Uh, I must admit that I've grown a lot in my uh, listening skills. My wife can attest to that. And I'm grateful that my wife stuck around long enough for me to have my own light bulb moments. For when I, I hear her say something in just the right way, and I say, oh, that's what you meant when you've been saying that for the past 10 years? Light bulb. Psh. Oh, sure, I understood. Well, enough for us to get this far, but extra learning. I want you to have a relationship in, in, with your own spouses, your own family, where we can still say 10 years, 50 years. I want to be 80 and say, oh, I understand you even better than I did before. It's not starting from scratch, but it's continually enhancing as opposed to how can we be th together this long and you not get it. I want to get it enough and still be getting more every day for years to come. The same goes for our relationship with God. The goal is to understand and be understood. Whenever you're tempted to say, I spoke clearly, I prayed clearly, God must have understood, heard, and not cared to respond. Remember that it's possible for God to hear, understand, and answer in a manner in which we might, might not be expecting or seeking. Maybe God will open up the sky and a voice will come down and boom from heaven. Maybe a, a sense of calm will come over you and give you a sense of imp or impression. Maybe a still small voice will come. Or maybe the situation will just change following your prayer and no extra sign will come other than the change itself. Be open to hearing God's preferred language and learning and understanding how he moves in different ways. Not as a once and for all, but to continually enhance that for years to come. As I prepare to close, my hope is that you will leave with a greater appreciation for the potential for your relationship with God. These are just some of the many ways in which the relationship, the relationship we call marriage that we're familiar with can reflect the committed relationship God desires to have with us. I challenge you to put on your marriage glasses when you pray, when you live, to think that's just not a God who is saying that in the scripture I'm reading. That's just not God who did this. That is a partner trying to engage with me. He's trying to get my attention. He's still saying, I'm with you. I'm for you. Let's be in this relationship together. 
And just as I would say to a couple in counseling together, I encourage you to see God trying to engage and interact with you as a spouse, as a committed partner would, in ways that sometimes were always there, we just didn't see it because our light bulb hadn't come on because we weren't seeing him in that way. Then ask yourself, how can I be a better spouse to God? Making intentional efforts to convey my commitments. Make God feel pursued. Listen and learn in new ways. Meet mutual needs in this unique, committed relationship together. Whether you're single or married, God knew you. He's been pursuing relationship with you since the very beginning, and our choice to commit our lives to God was just the beginning of a mutual, beautiful, beautiful relationship together. Resist the temptation of just being content being married, and instead make intentional efforts to strengthen your relationship with God, joining together with him and making it the best relationship it can be. Let me end in a prayer real quick. God, we love you. We thank you for helping us understand the potential for our relationship with you in a new way. Help us learn to see the ways that you're already moving and to look for you in new ways in the future. Help us to be a better partner in return, not because we were bad. Thank you for still loving us anyway, but helping us enhance that and work together to bless others on behalf of you and to let our relationship be an example that others can follow for years to come. In your name, amen. Dude, I, I, give it up. Sing it again. I have a prophetic word for you, brother. Your next book should be Marriage Therapy with God or something like that. The body of Christ. I, 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 I love that concept. Uh, we are the bride of Christ. And, and uh, I don't think I've ever heard a message about how God wants to be pursued. You want to be pursued? Well, that's what love does. Of course God wants to be pursued. Anyways. A lot, lot to chew on there, and, uh, and, and so thank you so much, brother, for, for delivering that word. Uh, we, we, don't forget, we've got uh, prayer rooms, or pr- prayers available if you have any need whatsoever that you could use prayer with. Uh, uh, check out that on the app and the website, and uh, if you're here in the auditorium, the prayer is available right up here at the front. Uh, we have a newscast at 4 o'clock on Tuesdays where they go deeper with the message and kind of uh, chew on that. You might want to check that out. And also we have the gathering groups. Encourage folks to be getting together to talk about the message and, and other things. And, and that also you'll find online. And I believe I'm supposed to also announce that you need to register for Heroes Gate, right? If you're going to have your kids, you need to know how many kids to expect. So uh, uh, call ahead of time and, and get registered that way. I'll just close by saying this. Can we go out of here with a commitment to work on our marriages? Our marriage with our spouse if we're married and our marriage to our, our heavenly uh, father. Uh, Let's uh, go out and pursue God the way God's pursued us. Amen? Amen? God bless you guys. See you next week.